Please rise for the reading of God's Word. From Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 31 through chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Hear now God's Word. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said. You may be seated. When we think about preaching and uh, the delivery of God's word, we can think about it in a number of different ways. And one of the primary things that preachers do or should do is exegete the scripture. And to exegete means to open up or to unpack, to explain the Bible. Well, I'd like to suggest that there are many ways to do that, but none are more important than what I will call incarnational exegesis. That is our showing others what the Bible means by the way we live, through our attitudes, and by our words. And so Jesus rebuked the Sadducees who could quote the Bible quite well. And he said to them, you are mistaken not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. So there is a way in which we could know the Bible and not know the Bible at the same time. Our goal is to know the meaning of the Word of God at every level and to show our love and respect for it by taking special care to submit to it and to apply it to our lives. We should never go away from having heard God's Word without having been changed by it. If you're not changing, if if it doesn't impact you, if it doesn't, doesn't cause you to grow, then either you're not hearing or there's some other fault in what's going on because that is the goal, that is the purpose of God's Word. Now this morning, last week I began this two-part series on bitterness, the root of bitterness, and I want to continue it today, but not without acknowledgement to Jim Wilson for his essay, How to Be Free from Bitterness. This short essay of 10 or 12 pages is something that I have literally given out hundreds of times over the years. It had a powerful impact in my life when I read it because uh, I believe that everyone at some point struggles with the sin of bitterness and some a lot more than others. It changed my life. It continues to bear good fruit. I reread it on a regular basis and it is the primary source of what I intend to deliver to you today. Let me read our passage of scripture once again. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you. That's going to be where we're focused. With all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God, dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Now, this text instructs us to get rid of bitterness and to put in its place, we could summarize what it says after that, 
by simply saying put sweetness in its place. Replace the bitterness with sweetness. And so before we begin to discuss how and why this must be done, it is certainly crucial for us to realize that the basis for all of our action in this regard must be what Jesus Christ has already done for us on the cross. We're not doing this in our own strength because it's impossible. You cannot get rid of bitterness without Christ. You can't. You're going to need not just help. You're going to need someone to do it for you. You're going to need a supernatural power to enable you to overcome what otherwise will eat you alive and destroy you along with anybody else that's near you. He takes away our sins and he puts us in a right relationship with God and the, and, and the Holy Spirit is given to us and begins a work in us to transform us into uh, the image of Christ, the likeness of Christ. That's the work that God begins in us. And you should see that going on in your life. And you should, when you look behind you, you should see progress. That's the fruit. That's the evidence that God has done a work and is continuing to do that work. If there's no growth, there's no fruit, there's no change, you should be concerned. In the Old Testament, there was a woman whose name meant pleasant, and her name was Naomi. And she had moved from Israel to another land with her husband and her two sons. Uh, but both of them had died, and within the next ten years, uh, well, after her husband died, within the next ten years, her two sons died. And so she made some comments to her recently widowed daughter, daughters-in-law about it when she was justifying her own bitterness. In Ruth chapter 1, verse thir- the end of verse 13, it, uh, Naomi says, It grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. She continues in verse 20 and 21. She says to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitterness. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home empty again. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi's bitterness is toward God. It was God who had taken away her husband and her sons, and she held it against him. Five times in these three verses, she held God accountable for her bitterness. And there are many people like that today. In fact, as I said, I don't think any of us escape the sin of bitterness because we're fundamentally selfish and sinful ourselves, and we are easily offended by others. But there are people who seem to take some pleasure in their bitterness. Somehow they like it, they nurse it, they feed it. They wouldn't know what to do if they got rid of it because the status of being a victim is attractive. It's easy to recognize when somebody is bitter. You can see it in their face, in their eyes, the lines on their face, even if it's a young person. You can see it in their mouth. You can see it when they're smiling or laughing. You can hear it in the tone of their voice. You can hear it when they protest that they are not bitter. The bitterness is central. It pervades everything. 
Now, in addition to Naomi, there are, were, were plenty of others in the Bible. For example, Jonah was an angry and a bitter man. The Lord said to him, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? You remember the, the gourd that sprouted up to provide shade and then it withered? Uh, he said, I do. I am angry enough to die. He thought he had a right to his anger. God, in effect, Jonah was saying, you're wrong to forgive people, those Ninevites. I don't want you to forgive people. I want justice. Really? Is that what you want? People enjoy holding things against other people, but our text requires you and me to remove all bitterness and to maintain a tender heart. Again, impossible, right? So here's the question. Is it possible to be kind, compassionate, tender-hearted, and yet bitter at the same time? These are internal attitudes, perspectives. Tender-heartedness obviously describes an inner condition, but bitterness is also on the inside. Remember, Hebrews tells us that bitterness defiles. How many drops of poison in this glass of pure water would it take before you were concerned about drinking it? Could we just say, well, maybe the drop is just here in the top left corner. I'll drink out of the other side. No, it defiles the whole thing, right? That's what bitterness does to us. And so, Paul says to get rid of all bitterness and to be kind and compassionate to one another. Therefore, all of our bitterness, every last drop of it, has to go. But before it can be removed, it's necessary to know what it is and that it is actually there. Because remember, this is a, one of those insidious sins. It's relatively easy to see when other people are bitter. But it's not so easy to see it in ourselves. Usually when I ask someone if they're bitter, they're quick to say no. But again, bitterness is an insidious sin, which means it's stealthy, it's secretive, it's deceitful. It's therefore important to have a good understanding of the Bible's definition of the problem. Let's suppose that a Christian commits a sin. He lies. Now, when he tells a lie, does he feel guilty or does he feel bitter? He feels guilty, right? When we sin, we feel guilty. Guilty. That's straightforward. Now, let's suppose that someone told a lie about this same Christian and spread it all over town. What does he feel now? Guilt or bitterness? Do you see the difference? Guilt is what we feel when we sin, and bitterness is what we feel when we perceive that others have sinned against us. The very definition of bitterness points to the action of another person, 
And if we had committed the offense, we'd feel guilty. We might know what to do about it. We'd confess our sins to God or whoever we sinned against or lied about and perhaps then receive forgiveness and take care of it. We might not confess the sin, but not because we didn't know what to do, but what do we do with the guilt of other people? Bitterness is always based on someone else's sin, whether it's real or exaggerated or imagined. Consider imaginary sin first. Sometimes we can be bitter towards someone for what they said when in reality they didn't say it at all. We heard a false report and now we're bitter. We wait for an apology which they can't offer. So shall we remain in bitterness the rest of our lives because they never asked forgiveness for something they didn't do or say? Which is a reason why if someone sinned against you and it's eaten on you, you better go talk to them. You better get the facts. You better find out what really happened. You could be mistaken, in other words. While few uh, will admit it, they are often bitter toward God, and in effect, they believe that he has done something wrong when he hasn't. That was Naomi. Incidentally, again, many bitter people can't imagine the possibility that they're bitter over imaginary sins. As far as bitterness is concerned, the other person's guilt is real. It's always real. For such a person trying to be free from bitterness, it is acceptable for them to assume the real guilt of the other person. I'm just making this point here. Okay, go ahead for the sake of argument and assume that they did sin against you. Now what? You, as, you can do that as long as you get rid of your bitterness. In other words, that doesn't become an excuse for you to be bitter. It's absolutely of no value in excusing your bitterness. And then there's the exaggerated version of the alleged sin. After the bitter person has interpreted the situation in the worst possible light, those exaggerated rehearsals in their mind become embedded memories. What about genuine sin, though? There are many bitter people who really were mistreated by the offender. Life is full of injustice. So how do we deal with a genuine offense? By the way, we, we say we just want justice, right? But what we mean is that we want justice for the person who sinned against us, but we want grace for us. So here's a little experiment to find out if perhaps you're bitter. Pray for the other person. And whatever you pray for them, pray that in that moment the same thing for yourself. Oh Lord, give them and me what we deserve. Any takers? Father, give them and me grace and mercy. Uh, that's hard too, right? 
But bitterness, you see, is based on sin that somehow relates to you. It is not concerned with how big the sin is necessarily. It's really based on how close it is to you. For instance, if some great and gross immorality occurs in China, what do we do? We read about it, but we don't feel guilty. We read about it, but we don't feel bitter. We might be appalled, but we don't feel guilty and we don't feel bitter. Nevertheless, it was an awful sin and someone actually committed it. So it doesn't depend on how great the evil is. It depends on how close the other person is to me. Bitterness is related to those people who are close. Bitterness is very personal. And a little sin from a close person is all it takes to get bitterness planted and to get it growing. It's like kudzu. And it will take over everything. So who are the likely candidates? Well, the answer is pretty simple, right? Fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and husbands and wives and children and friends and roommates and immediate superiors and immediate subordinates, co-workers and business partners and maybe some other relatives, some grandparents and uncles and aunts and so forth. You see how that circle starts tight and just as it moves out, but it's still relatively close. And, of course, there are many people who are bitter against God, even though God cannot sin. We don't get bitter toward people outside of our immediate contact. Bitterness is based upon somebody else's sin who is close to us and who we perceive did something to us. It could be minor. It doesn't have to be great. It just has to be close. Does he pick up his socks? No. Can you get bitter about that? Yes. Bitterness is also a very good scorekeeper. Keeps a little secret tally. And it accumulates. So once the bitterness is there, this is how the root grows. We, it gets fed. So now there's another offense. And now there's one more thing that happened. And one more thing that he didn't do or she didn't say. And it accumulates, and we build it up, and we save it up, and we store it up, and it gets heavier and heavier and heavier. You may think that you have a right to be bitter, but the Bible does not grant anyone the right to be bitter. The text says, get rid of all bitterness. Now, our text last week from Hebrews 12 said... 1215, looking carefully, are you looking carefully, uh, you know, digging deep inside? You got the magnifying glass out if you need it? Are you, are you looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by this many become defiled? Now, here the Bible describes bitterness as if it were a root, and a root is something that is underground generally and can't be seen, but there can be visible evidence of its presence as, for example, 
when sidewalks are lifted up as a tree grows and those roots push toward the surface. And roots do other things. The fact that you can't see roots doesn't mean that they're not there. And it doesn't mean that you'll never see them. They drink in nourishment. They don't simply stay roots. Eventually they come up and the fruit that is born is in direct relation to the root that is producing it. The roots of an apple tree give us apples. And so if there is a bitter root, there will be bitter fruit. That's what this verse is saying. Beware lest any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and defile many, many people, which means to make people filthy. You've all seen what bitterness can do to a marriage, right? Or a family. Or a church. It absolutely causes trouble. Why is this? Well, somebody decided to share. They were bitter and the root came to the surface and bore fruit. They shared it and many people became bitter. What happens to a person if they keep bitterness inside for many years? What happens to them physically? Can they get sick? Suppose it's bitterness towards some member of the family and they've kept it inside, they haven't shared it, they haven't defiled many people yet. And when they keep it inside for some years, they finally begin to hurt. And so they go to the doctor and the doctor says, you might, you know, you, uh, you're right, you're sick. But it's not the kind of sickness that I deal with. I'm going to send you to another kind of doctor. Remember, we don't like calling sin by its real name. We'd much prefer to find a medical cause for our problems. I know there are bitter pills, but is there a pill that removes bitterness? So he sends this person to the psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist agrees. Yes, you're sick all right. And I know why you're sick. You're sick because of 20 years of bitterness toward your father. You've kept it suppressed all these years, and it is rotting out your insides. You've kept this poison within, and this acid on the inside has made you physically ill. So what I want you to do is I want you to go home and share it with your father. Why keep it in and get sick? Let's get it out. Let's get everybody sick. Some of you have a person or even a long list of persons you haven't spoken to in years because you're full of bitterness. So the world has two solutions. Keep the bitterness in and make yourself sick or let it out and spread the sickness around. God's solution is to dig it up starting with repentance in yourself. Get rid of it. But this takes the grace of God, and a person must know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to be able to do this. He is the source of grace. He, if anybody had a right to be bitter, it would be him, but instead he shows us grace, ill-deserved favor. He is the model. He is the picture of grace. And if you know him, you have felt his grace. 
And now, because he's called you to be like him, calls you to extend that ill-deserved favor to someone else. The world's solution for bitterness should not be used by Christians. When Christians copy the world, they have poor choices. The Bible says, get rid of all bitterness. You must not keep it in. You must not share it. Surrender it to the Father through the Son. Oh, but then I can't be a victim. That's right. You'll have to be a victor instead. You ought to try that out. Jesus was a victor over sin, and he calls us to be victors over sin, beginning with our own sin of bitterness. You'll be set free. Yeah, but no, no buts. Did something really bad happen to you? Yes. Does that other person need to repent? Absolutely. Well, that's a separate topic for a separate day. So we're not ignoring the other person's sin, but we're saying the old cliche, two wrongs don't make a right. Their sin and your sin don't make righteousness. James 3, 14 and 15, I have a heading here, bitterness accumulates. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. The wisdom This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Perhaps you think pettiness and anger will fade away over time, but if the root of bitterness is allowed to flourish, the anger and the bitterness just get more intense. Unless there's a solution to it, people don't get less bitter with time. They get more bitter over the years. It gets worse and worse. Think about it. Think about some old people you know. They either get more and more bitter or they get more and more sweet. And if you harbor bitter envy, evil practice will result and it doesn't come from heaven. It is straight from the pit. It is of the devil. Now, getting rid of bitterness... Before we can get rid of it, we have to realize that we're bitter. How can we tell if we're bitter? Here's some guidelines. Here's how help you take a look. One good rule of thumb is bitterness remembers details. You've had thousands of conversations in your life, most of which you have forgotten. But this one took place five years ago, and you remember every single word. You remember the tone of voice, the look in his eye. You remember exactly what happened, which means you're bitter. Someone might object and say that it's also possible to have a good memory of a wonderful conversation. Is that possible? Yes, but not likely. Why? Because memory is helped by a lot of review. People don't usually mull over the wonderful things as much, but they do go over the bad things over and over and over and over. And I've done some counseling with people who are in the process of getting divorced. I've known some of them since they first got married. I remembered when they sat in my office and had stars in their eyes and were madly in love and didn't hear a word that the pastor was saying about the difficulty of marriage. But at the time of the divorce, 
Even though they had plenty of happy things happen, they don't remember any of those. All they can remember is that which they have gone over and over and over. They're bitter. Now this doesn't mean that there weren't happy times. It just means that they've concentrated on how right they were and how wrong the other person was. If someone has a sharp, detailed memory for things which happened years ago when they were a child or a young man or a young woman, and that memory is, is accusative toward anyone else, then it's an indication of bitterness. And the solution for bitterness is get rid of it. Clean house. Today. He said, how do you do that? Well, you're going to go to God and you're going to confess your sin. Not their sin, your sin. Don't talk about them at all right now. You got to deal with you first. Get the log out of your eye first. Why is it that we don't get rid of bitterness? Because in order to get rid of bitterness, I have to bring it back to my own heart. Instead, instead, the temptation is to look at the offender. Look what he did. Look what she said. That's the nature of bitterness. But in order to get rid of it, I need to recognize that it is my problem before I can confess it and forsake it. But you say, well, I'm not bitter. I just get hurt easily. But the symptoms of getting hurt easily are very close to the symptoms of resentment. Someone gets hurt and they get resentful. And resentment easily turns into deep bitterness. Bitterness is just resentment that has been held on to. It becomes rancid and rotten, and it keeps. And, it, 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 and if it's kept in, it gets worse. Now we want to make it apparent how sinful bitterness is. The bitter person must first recognize that he or she is bitter. And secondly, that it is a serious, serious evil. Many of us don't like to hear about sin, especially our own sins. Uh, Can we change the subject, please? Again, the reason people don't deal with this sin is that they think it's the other person's sin. And the devil says, well, when he quits lying or he quits doing this or that, or when he says he's sorry, then we'll feel better. But suppose he doesn't quit. Suppose he never quits. Are you going to be bitter the rest of your life because someone else insists on sinning? That doesn't make any sense. Sin never does make sense, does it? You might say, I'll forgive him when he says he's sorry, but not until then. I have a right to my bitterness until then. And when he says he's sorry, I'll forgive him and everything will be fine. But if you keep this wall of bitterness up and the day comes... Uh, and this person comes to you and says, I'm sorry, can you forgive him now? No. You know why? Because bitterness doesn't forgive. In order to forgive this person, when he says he's sorry uh, to you, you have to be ready before he says he's sorry. And if you're ready to forgive him before he says he's sorry, then it doesn't depend on whether he says he's sorry or not. In other words, you get rid of bitterness unilaterally. It doesn't matter what the other person does or doesn't do. Remember that bitterness seems to stem from the other person's sin, real, exaggerated, or imagined, but that's only how it appears. 
In reality, bitterness is a sin that stands alone. The bitter person decides to be bitter independent of the offender. Suppose the offender is dead and can't apologize. I know people who are extremely bitter, and the bitterness is toward their parents who died years ago, but the bitterness has not died. Bitterness is the sin of the bitter person alone, unrelated to anybody else. The only thing that gets rid of our bitterness is confession before God because of the Lord Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. We must not keep it and we must not share it with others. There's only one thing to do, and that is to confess it as a great and evil sin. We must be as persistent in the confession as necessary. That's the only solution. Example that Jim Wilson gives. You know, you go kneel down at your bed to pray and confess your bitterness toward this or that person, and you feel relief, and you get up, and before you can walk out of the room, the bitterness comes rushing back in, and you have to turn around and go confess it again. This one doesn't go away easy. It's deep. Amy Carmichael has a note in her little book, If, quote, For a cup brimful of sweet water cannot spill even one drop of bitter water, however suddenly jolted. Jolts only bring out of the container what's already in the container. If you're filled with sweetness and you get jolted, you're going to spill sweetness. It shows what was already in the container. It's the result of what we're filled with. Finally, if it were the other person's problem and I was filled with sweetness and not bitterness, then I would be concerned about the other person. You got that? In other words, if I wasn't bitter and someone had done something awful to me, I'd be concerned about them, not me. I would say, that poor guy, look what he did. If I did something like that, I'd feel awful. He must really feel awful, or I hope he does. I think I'll go help him. But if that's not my response, then I'm bitter, and it's, and it's my sin, not his, that is causing the bitterness. And so when Christians start confessing their sins, then they will be able to forgive other people of their sins. Well, there's much more that can be said about this. I'd urge you to read the booklet I mentioned. It's actually published in a little book that has several other essays that address uh, related topics. Let me know if you're interested in that. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful that though we offend your holiness, your grace has put that away forever in Jesus Christ. Help us as your children to demonstrate that kind of grace toward others. Enable us to root out all malice and bitterness. Help us to have tender hearts toward one another. Father, you have called us to cast all our cares upon you, for you care for us. And now, because your love has conquered us, we have this assurance. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come 
nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. doesn't take a whole lot of bitterness to make everything taste bad. Even the bread and the wine of the Lord's table. Because bitterness defiles. The message today was perhaps painful. It's hard to look at ourselves. But the purpose of this message was to heal. If we heed the word of God and apply its remedy, then we will be freed from all bitterness. And our joy in Jesus Christ will be restored and even enhanced. The bread and the wine then become sweeter. From James, we read, Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Amen.